Hello, welcome to the Revive for the Journey podcast, where we give you this week's message from Cove Church. We pray that it blesses you and helps you grow deeper in your journey with Christ. Enjoy. Well, hello, Cove Church. I hope you are well. Great to be with you again today as we continue our 1224 series. Today, talking about what it looks like to be a people of prayer. Um, I'll start out with a story. My, my dad, as I've mentioned many times before, was a musician, a guitar player. And at some point in his early days of playing, he got a hold of, he bought a 1956 Gibson 175D jazz guitar. Uh, thin body, arch top, sunburst finish, dual humbucker and pickups. Uh, it looks like this. And that's the image for you to see. This particular Gibson came from the factory with one of the pickups wired out of phase, which meant he could use it for rock music because on that particular pickup setting, it had distortion built in. It was kind of handy. It was just a cool guitar. And, but for a while after my brother and I were born, my, my dad sort of gave up the music biz. Um, evidently, you know, he was busy enough just being a dad. Uh, and so the Gibson went into its case and stayed in a closet. We, we occupied a lot of his time, and, but then we started to get older and he began to return to music. But, but when he did, he didn't go back to rock bands. He, he did so with an acoustic guitar started playing a lot of bluegrass, that sort of thing. Which again meant that the Gibson stayed in its case and in the closet because it didn't sound very good just acoustically. It didn't work for that very well. And the hassle of, of having an amp or a system set up to plug into it just wasn't convenient. It was just so much easier to grab the acoustic guitar. But every now and then, my father would organize a jam session at our house. All of his friends would be there and my brother would be playing bass, I'd be playing drums. And on those special occasions, the Gibson would come out. And I can still remember the scent of guitar polish when he would open the case. To us, it was like the Excalibur being unsheathed, you know. Oh, behold, sons, the Gibson, you know. <laughs> and it fits so perfectly into its custom case that was lined with a crushed velvet. It was worn down, of course, from so many years, but still absolutely soft to the touch. And on those occasions where my dad would plug in and play that guitar, we would hear the tone of George Benson, the tone of B.B. King. We'd hear again the jazz licks that he had taken so much time to learn and to lock away. And those days were special because they weren't like every other day. That, that guitar was set apart for something unique. And we knew that every time it came out. My brother still has that guitar. It's, it's kind of part of our family now. And when I see it, I'm reminded of this powerful truth. Great things come from that which is set aside for a noble purpose. Today we talk about that truth regarding a particular aspect of a Christ follower's life. What is known in the Bible as consecration, okay? Which simply means to be set aside, set apart for a noble and specific purpose. And the scripture tells us there's one purpose, one event, one effort that only those who follow Christ can accomplish. 
One endeavor that we have been set aside for, and it is this. Christ followers are set aside, consecrated for a relationship with God in prayer. I mean, think about it. Is there anyone else that will do this? I mean, lots of people, of course, can, can serve and, and can help w- with needs of people and, and help to strengthen marriages and assist the impoverished and educate and bring out medicine to help people. But only those who follow Christ have been made for the purpose of connecting to God in prayer. 1 Peter 2.9, this is what it says, But you are a chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. That calling out is the idea around this word consecration, to be set apart. And just like that guitar made such a difference when it appeared over the course of my life, God is calling those who love him to make a difference in the lives of many by doing the thing that we have been set apart to do, connecting with God in prayer. Prayer is what moves me from knowing who God is to knowing God. From an intellectual understanding to a relational understanding. Here's what I mean by that. Let's say I go to Barnes & Noble bookstore and I find a book there all about Paula. Paula is my wife, by the way, if you're wondering. It's all about Paula. It's called Paula, Woman of Grace and Mystery. You know, oh, great title. And it's all about my wife, okay? Chapter one, it's about her depth of character. Chapter two, it's about her boundless determination. Chapter three, about her timeless beauty. Chapter four, about her perseverance and resilience. Chapter five, about her patience. That's a longer chapter, by the way, involving the potential to work through the issues of a flawed husband. It's a pretty long chapter. The chapters go on, and it is a great book. But all of it, I know in reading it, it is intellectual knowledge. None of that comes close to the now 28 years of marriage, personal knowledge. I don't just know about Paula, I know Paula. I've experienced those traits in and through a relationship. That's what God wants for us. The Bible lets us know who God is, but prayer lets us know God. Prayer allows us to experience a relationship because we are not meant to live this life alone. And God wants to know us and to be known by us. And you'd think with that in mind, prayer would be just so easy, so natural, just like riding a bike, but it's not. Uh, What other activity can you forget that you're doing it while you're doing it? (laughs) You know, I'm not driving along and then suddenly I start doing a crossword puzzle. You know, I just forget I'm driving. No, I, I know I'm driving when I'm driving. Now, admittedly, at times I will walk into a room and wonder why I walked into this room. Or open the fridge, you know, there's a reason I'm here, but I I don't know why. But for the most part, I I know what I'm doing when I'm doing it. I don't don't forget I'm doing it while I'm in the action of doing something. Yet, I can go to prayer, and suddenly, after a few moments, I can realize I'm not praying anymore. I'm thinking about something else. 
We can all fall prey to the the most minute distractions, just a fly in the room buzzing around. It can feel like, oh man, it sounds like a megaphone, like just that buzz is so loud, just just so loud, anything to distract us. And so prayer can be something difficult. We can struggle. Yet God wants this life of prayer to become this dialogue that feels as natural as a conversation with our best friend. Not just knowing about God, knowing God. We can experience God in prayer. And the first way that happens that I would want to point out today is this. In prayer, we experience connection to God. We're going to be in the Second Chronicles, chapter 7, verse 14. For the, just the first part of it, let's read it together. Big voices, go. If my people who are called by my name. Now stop right there for a moment. My people. That's the connection that God desires for us. See, prayer by definition is a looking to God. It's a changing my view. It's it's seeking the Almighty. This is what makes us God's people. And it's important because in doing so, what I'm saying is you're God and I'm not. I'm looking to you. There is a a dependency here, that Jesus has made it possible for us to have this personal relationship with God, a relationship with the God of the universe. That is crazy, right? Because in that relationship is wrapped up both awe and intimacy. Take, Take this idea. Take Victoria Falls. There's a picture of it. It's on the Zambezi River in Africa. It is the largest waterfall in the world, a natural wonder so extraordinary that you can hear its roar from 25 miles away. To look at that, you see two things, transcendent beauty and unimaginable power all at once. That is the dynamic of prayer, closeness with vastness, intimacy with the infinite. This is the basis of prayer, but I want you to see what makes that possible. It's this invitation from Father God. If my people who are called by my name, Father God invites us to this. It's what we see even at the start of the Lord's Prayer. When Jesus says, when you pray, I want you to pray this way. Our Father who art in heaven. Here's what's so different about that. If you were a rabbi, a Jewish teacher... You didn't call God Father. No, in fact, a German scholar researched Jewish literature all throughout history, discovered that in the entire history of Judaism, in all the existing books of the Old Testament, all the existing extra-biblical Jewish writings dating from the beginning of Judaism until the 10th century A.D., says there is not a single reference of a Jewish person addressing God directly in the first person as Father. There were appropriate forms of address used by Jewish people. Children were were trained to address God in the proper phrases of respect. They would memorize those as kids. But guess what? The term Father was not among them. In fact, the first Jewish rabbi to call God Father directly was Jesus. 
That was a huge departure from tradition. In fact, almost every time we see Jesus pray, Jesus calls God Father. And that's why the Jewish leaders wanted to kill him. They're like, you can't call God Father. That's too personal. That's too immediate. That This is the eternal one. Heaven is God's footstool. Yet here we see an invitation to that kind of closeness, that kind of familiarity. God's saying, seek me. We, we, we tend to just kind of run past the fatherliness of God in prayer. And we must understand this is more than just a quaint term. It is actually a place of legal standing. Because if God is my father, then I'm God's son and you're God's daughter. We're adopted in. Jesus once talked about this dynamic referring to earthly parents, saying that, that if even you who are sinful know how to give good gifts to your kids, how much more the good gifts of the truly good Father God. Saying that Father God is for you and Father God loves you and desires a closeness with you beyond anything else you can experience in life. That, that God sees every aspect of who you are and loves you. Here's just one example. Here's, here's how we know that. Psalm 56 says this beautiful phrase. It says, God keeps every tear that we've cried. He keeps it in a bottle. Now, some of you are saying, man, in my life, that would have to be a big bottle. You know, that's a lot of tears. You know, more like a water tanker for me. But God keeps them. He's that close. He's that engaged. He's that good of a father. And that God desires to be connected to us in relationship. So in prayer, we can experience that connection to God. That's the first thing. Here's the second thing. In prayer, we experience transformation from God. Let's continue the passage as it says, Second Chronicles 7.14. It says, if my people now will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Notice how much of this passage really affects us personally. It's, it's a dramatic change in posture, isn't it? To, to, to be humble, to humble myself, to pray, to seek, to turn. God invites us to this dramatic change in how we operate in the world for this reason. Among the most significant things that prayer changes is the fact that prayer changes me. Because when God is allowed to change me, my prayers change. There's a story told of a little boy. He was uh, sent to his room because he'd been misbehaving, he'd been bad. And a short time later, he came out and said to his mom, Mom, I've been thinking about what I did, and I've said a prayer. And she said, well, that's just great, honey. You know, if you ask God to help you be good, God certainly will help you be good. And the little boy said, oh, Mom, I, 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 I didn't ask God to help me be good. She said, really? Well, what did you ask God for? He said, I prayed that God would help you learn how to put up with me. <laughs> See, sometimes it's our prayers that need to change, which means we need to change. We need different prayers, different ways 
of approaching life. And in that, we're, we begin approaching God in humility and we're seeking and we're turning from our own stuff. In prayer, we experience this life-giving and transformative relationship and God wants that to affect everything. My uh, grandma and grandpa, uh, before they died, they had this car. They lived in one of these nice uh, senior living communities and they had this car, a Mazda 626. And they, but the place they lived had everything. They didn't have to go anywhere. Um, you know, it had it had the, the meals there. It had you know beauticians. It had every. They didn't have to go anywhere if they didn't want to. And so their car, for the most part, just sat there uh, in a parking spot that was dedicated for it. But even though it just sat there, every three months, my grandpa would take it, get in it, start it up, drive it, and get its oil changed every three months, like clockwork. And grandma would joke with grandpa saying, you know, they're just draining it out of our car and putting it in someone else's car because it is brand new oil. It hasn't been used. But then I started noticing something, that when grandpa went to change the oil, he got to go out to breakfast. And then he got to go to the shop where the mechanics were, and he got to talk to them about the car and talk to them about life and to connect and maybe have a little space away from grandma. I think that was kind of part of it. He liked them, and I realized it wasn't just about taking care of the car. It was about connecting with those people. We, at times, think that prayer is just about taking care of the car, of the need, of the lack, of the issue of the day, but it's really about connecting with our Father in such a way that we change. See, God's value always is to know us. And answered prayer is yet another chance to build relationship. It's another way to change us. And that's really what we need, isn't it? Because it's in the humbling and in the praying and the seeking and the turning that we experience this thing called conviction. Where God says to us, Let's take a look at that, Aaron. I'd like to take a look at that part of your life. Now often, I, I think there's confusion around this word, this word, the confusion between the idea of conviction and the idea of condemnation. We're told in the book of Romans that there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Jesus. And we're also told in the book of John that the Holy Spirit brings conviction to our lives. So what's the difference. Well, here's, here's one way to, to view it. Um, I did a little bit of track in high school, and even in some of my early years, I attempted to be a high jumper uh, for just for a, a little while. Um, I mostly liked it because there were really squishy mats there that you could lie on. You know, I thought that was just kind of fun. I wasn't really a great high jumper. But the coaches would watch us and, and coach us, and, and my usual was, would be I would jump and, of course, knock over the bar. Now here's two scenarios, one of them condemnation, one of them conviction. Let's, this is imaginary now, but this is how it could go. If, if the coach was offering condemnation, if they were operating in condemnation, it would sound like this. I would jump and miss, and they'd say, Aaron, you're the lousiest jumper I've ever seen. 
you know. Yeah, we should make a plaque that says, you are the worst high jumper ever. They'd say, I, I, I've seen snails with a greater vertical leap than you have. Aaron, it's as though you're fighting a different planet's gravity when you jump. It's astounding how bad you are. That's condemnation. Condemnation is both the presence of shame and the absence of hope. And for those of you who have experienced shame in your life, it's like glitter. Once it's opened, it's everywhere, and it's on everything. That's not what God wants. So, same scenario. Let's put this one where now the coaches are operating in conviction, and my coaches thankfully did operate in conviction. And this is what they say, I'd jump, I'd miss. They say, Aaron, you need to change your approach to this angle. Aaron, you need to drive upward with your knee. Aaron, you need to arch your back at this point. That's conviction. They still saw the failure, but gave correction in hope of turning that failure into success. This is what the Holy Spirit does through conviction. Condemnation is shame minus hope. Conviction is correction plus hope. So what happens in this transformative prayer relationship is ultimately this. We change. Because in prayer we experience a transformation from God. It's the second thing here is the last thing. And it's this. In prayer we experience redemption in God. Second Chronicles 7, the last part of this passage says this, Then I will hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. Guess what? Prayer actually changes my circumstance. Prayer actually changes your circumstance. Deliverance takes place. God shows up. Miracles happen. As I seek and as I turn in humility and God changes me, make no mistake, God does respond. God does move and act. During, during COVID, um, we had to do some government interactions with, with Social Security stuff, especially when we were changing our name and all that stuff. And because it was COVID, there was a, a Social Security office in town, but you couldn't get into that place, not even with a mask. It was just closed. There's no way there. The only option was to, to call them. And to leave a message with, with Social Security, with that whole department. And, and if you've ever done that, that is like you might as well leave a message in a black hole. I mean, it's just, there's so point, it's so pointless. Like, you're, there's no way you're getting a response to this. There's no way you're getting a reply. Here's the great news regarding prayer. When we pray, guess what? God responds God responds, God talks back, God acts to forgive and to heal. James 5, verse 16 says, The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Prayer changes things. I've seen it so many times in my life because God is able to affect change. Like, just imagine if, if me and someone else fell overboard of a boat out in the ocean somewhere. And we're out there and we're treading water. Well, in that circumstance, I am not looking to that person to rescue me, to save me. Why? Because we're in the same circumstance. No, I'm looking for another 
person to help me. I'm looking for another boat. I'm looking for a helicopter. I'm looking for a large pelican. Anything other than them, anything outside my circumstance to save me, to deliver me, to redeem me. Here's the great thing. Because we are praying to the God of all creation, the King of kings, the infinite one, God can and does change my circumstance. We must understand this. God is not in my circumstance and can therefore have an effect on my circumstance. God can deliver me. God can deliver you. God can redeem and heal and forgive. This is what God does. So the question is always this. Will I call on God? Because in prayer, we experience redemption in God. Will you call on God? I'll wrap up with this. Um, Some of the first Christ followers in Africa had a deep and abiding prayer life. And they would each have their own spot in the thicket where they'd go to seek God just on a daily basis, just for that relationship. And so over time, this path would develop to their place of prayer. It would become worn down because they were there every day. And so as a result, in later years, when those, if anyone started to neglect their time with God, it was soon totally apparent to everybody else because the grass would start to grow in on their path. And so they had this kindly reminder to their struggling brothers and sisters. They'd say, sister, the grass grows on your path. And the question there was, what's going on with you and God? The idea that, of asking, you haven't been connecting with the God who loves you in prayer. I mention that story because I think the question could be pointed at us. What does your path of prayer look like today? Is it possible that the grass has grown on that as well? Now, that is not said with any condemnation, but there may be some conviction that the Holy Spirit would use. Because of all the things that Christ followers can do, this is the thing we've been set apart for, consecrated for. This connection is set aside for those who love Jesus. So find your path in prayer and take it every day. Matthew 21 um, is a story of Jesus turning over the tables in the temple, you know. And, um, And it's interesting when you look at that, what he was really kicking out was this kind of transactional approach to God. You know, buy this, do this, and, and, and that was what he was saying, no, this can't be anymore. And what he was commanding was a relational approach to God, saying this must be a house of prayer of genuine connection to God. And, and Jesus then later tells us that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, that our life is to be the house of God. So the question for each of us is this, is this house, my house, a house of prayer? Is my life a house of prayer? And if not, Jesus is right here inviting us to something greater. Not just because of what your prayers will accomplish in your circumstance, and they will accomplish a great deal. 
but also for what it will accomplish in you. We've all been set aside for this beautiful purpose. So friends, let's decide today not to settle for less. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. To stay connected with all things Cove Church, visit our website, covechurchpnw.com or on all social media platforms at covechurchpnw. We'll see you next time.